The Titans have put in interview requests for nine different head coaching candidates. We are going to go through and rank them into tiers and break down each one and their fit as the next Titans head coach. This is the Music City Audible. Let's get to it. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media in partnership with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, is Justin Mello and Justin. It looks like the Titans are going to have a new head coach, although fans may have to wait a little bit. How's it going? I'm doing well. Doing well. Uh, You said it. This episode is going to be dominated by the head coaching search. Nothing else to really talk about. Nothing else matters right now. They've identified nine candidates. I'm going to give you an opportunity to probably round off each one, or I could round off each one uh, by name and, and you know who they are and, and where do they work, obviously, now. And then we'll go through each one. We're going to place, t- place them in tiers, I believe is what we're doing this episode. Your wishes, my wishes. They might be different. We'll see. I hope they are, right? It could lead to some good discussion points. Um, and I will say, start off by saying this. I, I really like that they've casted such a wide net. I agree. I think we could all agree on that nine candidates is significantly more than how many they interviewed when they hired Mike Vrabel. Um, I think it was only three or four when they hired Vrabel and about the same when they promoted Mike Malarkey from interim to full-time. And we all know that search was a sham, right? Essentially they had promised Malarkey the job he came out and said at some point. So both of those searches, even the Vrabel one, as much as I love Mike Vrabel. I I would go as far as saying that was a sham too. Not that it was like a a total sham. I mean, it was, they knew who they wanted and then they had to go through the process to fulfill the league requirements. So yeah, both of the last two head coaching searches were not, they weren't a wide cast net for sure. There's more candidates being interviewed for this position than the last two vacancies combined. Yeah. So that's pretty again, I want to be honest. I'm not gonna. I'm not changing my tune. I love the Mike Vrabel hiring. I still am very questionable on his dismissal, and I'm I'm in wait and see mode. We'll see how the next couple of years go. Um, but certainly, I love the idea of casting a wide. Now that doesn't mean you can't come out with the wrong guy. I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to say, right? And it doesn't mean they didn't come out with the right guy. Um, maybe even the last two times, arguably, Mike Malarkey, you know, had some success here, changing the culture and all that. But regardless, I think it's a great starting point to identify a bunch of candidates. It's also a learning process. You're exploring, you're feeling people out. You get great ideas from every coach and all. I mean, the Vrabel one, they came out with Matt LaFleur as the offensive coordinator, right, during that search. So there are so many good things that can come from casting a wide net, and I'm very, very happy that they're interviewing nine candidates. Yeah, absolutely as well. I am. So that that's interesting. I think that's an interesting place to start there is looking at the diverse background of each one of these candidates because like you said it's a it's a very wide net so yes let's read off the candidates here really quickly so we have Raiders interim head coach Antonio Pierce Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan Eagles offensive coordinator Brian Johnson Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn you have both Lions coordinators offensive and defensive Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn Giants offensive coordinator Mike Kafka Texans offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick and Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald. Those are the nine candidates. So, Justin, let's start by putting them into tiers here. We're going to break down each guy, give a little bit of background on each one and why we think they would or wouldn't fit as the next head coach of the Titans. And I think something to, to keep in mind as we go through this, and I think most fans already know this, but how many times have we seen the best coordinator on the, in the cycle go on to be a terrible head coach And how many times have we seen a guy who maybe wasn't a great coordinator or wasn't the most innovative, new, hot, hottest name go on to be a pretty dang good coach? It doesn't really there's this this thing in the the world called the Peter principle, which is this idea that you keep getting promoted to the point that you eventually get promoted past where you are best suited because you did such a good job at the last position you were at. And sometimes these guys get promoted a little too much. 
there's no way all nine of these guys or even all eight vacancies that are, as we record this on Monday morning, there's eight vacancies. We'll see if another one opens up between the Cowboys and the Eagles and all the rumors that are swirling around out there. But as of now, the the, the idea that all eight vacancies will be filled by a superstar head coach that's going to be very no. successful, no chance, right? You're, you'll be lucky if 25% of these vacancies get filled by a guy who actually is a good head coach, which I think is to your point about the scary prospect we face now as Titans fans with Mike Vrabel's dismissal is like the chances that the next guy are better is not very high. However, that's how you get to the next stage of the franchise. You know, you look back at the Ken Wisenhunt era, it was a terrible, terrible team. Mike Malarkey came in, changed, like you said, changed the culture, turned them into a playoff contender. Mike Vrabel was supposed to be the guy that took them from good to great. Remember when that was the mantra of one of his intro seasons? I can't remember which one, but it was going from good to great. I think it was his second season. We're going to go from good to great now. Well, the Titans actually need to go from good to great now because they've been good for the last eight to 10 years, actually, which is, a, you know, nice for this franchise that was bad for a long time. But now they need to go to great. And there's a chance that this hire could be Brandon Staley, Adam Gase level bad guys that were supposed to be geniuses and hot names and the next big thing who were terrible as head coaches. Or it could be, you know, the other way you could find the next Sean McVay, somebody that nobody really knew about and came in and turned a whole franchise, a whole culture around Dan Campbell in Detroit, uh, D'Amico Ryans in Houston. Like there is a way to hire a new head coach and turn things around quickly. So anyway, all that said, let's go through these candidates. I want to start in the lowest tier and I say lowest instead of a number, because Justin, we have a different, we have different amounts of tiers between you and me. So in the lowest tier, I think we agree it's Aaron Glenn and Mike Kafka. Let's start with Aaron Glenn here. He's the current defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. He was a, a player, obviously. He was a cornerback for 15 seasons in the NFL. He played for a number of different teams, the Jets, the Texans, the Cowboys, the Jags, the Saints. And uh, he's been coaching in the NFL since 2014. He got into the league as an assistant defensive backs coach for the Browns for two seasons. Then he was the DB coach in New Orleans for five years. And when Dan Campbell got hired as the head coach of the Detroit Lions, he followed him there as his defensive coordinator, which is where he's been for the last three seasons. So what is it about Aaron Glenn that makes him an attractive candidate, Justin? And then what is it that keeps him in our lowest tier here? Well, I think if I was going to say what makes him an attractive candidate is he was a really good football player, right? Yeah. And, and I think he commands and receives the respect of his players. Uh, it certainly gives him a unique ability to relate to his players, I think, in all his experience in the league. And he's called a, a, a pretty good defense this year in Detroit. Not a great one, but an okay one. I mean, you know, holding the Rams to 23 points on Sunday night and winning that game uh, is a check mark for him. It's a success, certainly. Um, a couple of things that, that turned me off his candidacy, and I don't want this to sound lazy, but I think because no two coaches are the same. I never believe that. There are no two people who are the same. But I, I think if the Titans wanted a former player, a defensive-minded coach, a former defensive player as a head coach, I think they had a pretty good one in Mike Vrabel, right? <laughs> I don't know that they would be veering far away enough from what they just had by hiring Aaron Glenn. And some of the challenges that come with it, I'm, you know, assembling a staff, number one, and I, I've done some of the research on him. I haven't done it all, but I can tell you off the bat, I'm, you know, he hasn't been coaching for a super long time. Right. How many good coaches could he bring with him to Tennessee that are that already, A, weren't poached from when Sean Payton went from New Orleans to Denver, so to speak, and from when Dan Campbell went from New Orleans to Detroit. Now, because they worked with so many of the same people, right? Now, of course, some of those guys would be maybe in line for promotions, and that's how he could poach a couple of them away. But I, I, I would think Sean Payton and Dan Campbell have done a pretty good job, right, of, of, of really picking that staff apart. And some of them remain in New Orleans, right? Dennis Allen, Pete Carmichael, like a, a lot of these guys that he's worked with probably aren't looking for a new job. So I, I think I questioned the, the kind of staff he could put together here. I'd prefer to stay away. I think if you're going to make the change away from Vrabel, I'd prefer you go to an offensive minded coach. And then again, I talk about the similarities with being a former player and defensive minded. So for me, and, and in truth, his defenses haven't been great. They haven't been great. I agree. 
That doesn't matter a ton. Mike Vrabel's defense was awful the right. one year he was the coordinator with the Texans. So I don't want to put too much stock into that because I agree with you. It's not very telling of, of future success uh, when being a head coach. I think that defense was one of the worst in the league when he first got there. It wasn't great last year. Uh, now it's gotten better, but again, the personnel's gotten a lot better along the way. Not shocking, you know. Yeah, didn't have Aiden Hutchinson in that first year. Brian Branch this year, CJ Gardner Johnson. So uh, I say this all the time: players, not coaches. And I think it's pretty indicative of how Aaron Glenn's tenor has gone as DC of the Lions. So for me, though, those are some of the things that I think keep them uh, in, in the bottom ranked here for me. Yeah, I think if we look at Amy Adams Strunk and, and some of the key points of her statement and what we can sort of gather the vision for the team is that they won't tell us what the vision is, but we do sort of have some clues in her statement. Aaron Glenn doesn't necessarily strike me, and this isn't a slight on him, but doesn't necessarily strike me as super innovative as someone who's like bringing new schemes and new ideas to the league here and and like pioneering new ways to play defense for the Lions. And that's not necessarily a requirement for being a the next head coach, but... It is interesting that she pointed, specifically said, innovative, fresh-minded approach here to the head coaching position. I don't know that Aaron Glenn is necessarily that. I do think he has a lot of good experience in Detroit watching Dan Campbell and observing how to take a team that could not get over the hump and turn them into a team that now, you know, it's early in this playoff run, but they won a playoff game. They're going to get to play at home again. They're in the divisional round. Yeah, they're going to, and they're going to play at home against the winner of the Bucks and the Eagles, which, you know, not to Very winnable game. Not gonna pencil any not gonna put anything in stone, but I would put say the Lions are gonna be favored no matter who they're playing in the next round. So absolutely I think that there are some positives to Aaron Glenn, but I, I'm with you on the idea of like I in my head there is one defensive minded head coach candidate that actually excites me. And I and if you're if it's not him, and we'll get to him in a second, if it's not him, I fully agree they should go with an offensive minded head coach and I saw a tweet last night that I think is is pretty on point that said it's a lot easier to replace a good defensive coordinator as an offensive-minded head coach than it is to replace a good offensive coordinator if you're a defensive-minded head coach because the best offensive coordinators are head coaches right now. And the best defensive Why? coordinators, for the most part, are guys who used to be head coaches, who Peter yep. principled out, got fired up from their head coaching job, and are now yep. back at the D.C. level. So that Raheem was really Morris, Gus Bradley. I mean, we can go on and on. Steve so Wilkes, Vic Fangio. There are so many. But um, Ron Rivera might join in that list. I think this summer wouldn't be surprised if he's a D.C. somewhere. Dan Quinn, although Dan Quinn's about to become, uh, maybe we'll see a head coach. <laughs> I mean, that game on on the Cowboys game on Sunday was not good. But anyway, moving on to the uh, to the next man in our tier here I think because that's sort of where I'm at with the offensive versus defensive minded thing I don't think it's a blanket like you gotta hire an offensive minded head coach but I think if you're gonna hire a defensive minded head coach a you have to be confident that they're gonna be able to put together a good offensive staff because that's honestly that's the NFL in 2023 2024 is like the best offenses I don't know if defense wins championships anymore is what I'm trying to say and uh and they gotta be somebody who's like who stands out as special to you, like someone that you really believe is going to be fresh, innovative, new approach to, to coaching the, you know, their team. So anyway, that's our first guy in the lowest tier. Our other guy in the lowest tier is Mike Kafka. Mike Kafka, you may know, was a former quarterback in the league. He played five or six seasons as a backup in the NFL, and he's been coaching since 2016, where he got his start at Northwestern as a graduate assistant. So barely, Barely counts as coaching there. Then he moved to the NFL um, under Andy Reid in 2017 with the Chiefs as an offensive quality control coach. He was promoted to quarterbacks coach there from 2018 to 2019. He was then promoted again in Kansas City to not only quarterbacks coach, but quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator for the next two seasons. And then in 2022, Brian Dable hired him on his staff in New York as the offensive coordinator so not a ton of coaching experience. He's only been coaching since 2016. And like I said, you know, the first year, the first two years, graduate assistant, offensive quality control coach, not exactly doing a whole lot of, of real coaching, you know, hands on with players and stuff. Definitely get a look at the process of how the Chiefs have sort of built up a winner. So that's interesting. Um, and then being in New York for Brian Dable is he had a, a phenomenal run in 2022 with a, you know, overachieving with a less talented team and then a very disappointing, I would say, 2023 season with, you know, suffering a lot of injuries to the quarterback room and stuff, but still not necessarily an inspired Giants offense. 
I think my biggest reservation for Kafka is the lack of overall coaching experience and uh, also concerns about what kind of staff he would put together, which is why I have him in tier four. The only real plus to me, and I don't, I'll be honest, I don't know a ton about Mike Kafka, but that's because he hasn't been around all that long. The only real plus to me is he's offensive minded head coach, right? And like, what does his offenses even look like? Brian Dayball is, you know, the play caller in New York. So not necessarily even seeing what Mike Kafka would be as a play caller. It's interesting. He's learned from Andy Reid, who is obviously one of the all time greats, but I don't know. I have Kafka in tier four. And to be honest, if that's who the Titans decided to hire, I wouldn't be super excited. Well, I agree with a lot of the negatives you said. I think the lack of um, you know, experience is, is the biggest red flag for me. But I will list, and I agree with you, he's in the bottom tier. And because I agree with all you said, I'll round off some of the positives that I think you didn't say. Uh, you know, Obviously, the experience in Kansas City, I mean, under Andy Reid, under Eric Bieniemy. I don't know if you would have crossed paths with uh, Matt Nagy, but he's been around a lot of, you know, good offensive minds, in my opinion. I mean, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes. And that first year, I want to say, or that second year even, Mike Kafka was already starting to get a little bit of head coaching buzz for the job he was doing in Kansas City. This is not the first time we heard right. his name yeah. um, throughout the coaching cycle. So that's number one. I think at Northwestern, you're right, just being a GA, but he did work under a, a pretty damn good head coach there. I imagine it was, it was Pat Fitzgerald, obviously, right, when he was there. So there have been some good things. And then you look at 2022, overachieving with Daniel Jones as his quarterback. Not a very good quarterback, I think we'd all agree. All these are pluses. Another plus is he played quarterback in this league. Like you don't think he knows everything there is to know about playing quarterback and offensive minded football. I don't care if he was a third stringer, just making it to this level as a quarterback. I mean, he's a smart guy. Wasn't Kevin O'Connell fairly similar where, you know, he didn't have a ton of coaching experience, former NFL quarterback. We've seen how well I I think that's worked well in Minnesota. In my opinion, I think Kevin O'Connell's a really good head coach and has a great offensive mind. So that might be the positive comparison for Mike Kafka, right? If he was a Kevin O'Connell type, um, then you, you chalk that up as a W. But for me right now, you know, what the Giants did this past year, the lack of experience, not a lot of uh, play calling experience either, of course, hasn't been a coordinator for very long, didn't hold that position in Kansas City. I think all those things for now, I, I think Mike Kafka's moment will come and I think he'll probably deserve it when he when it comes. I just don't think it's right now. Yeah, I agree with that. And and I think, you know, a team may end up hiring him this cycle. But like I said, I hope it's not the Titans because um, I'd have to do a lot of convincing to get myself on board with that one. Let's move on to the next tier up. So I sort of let it slip that Mike Kafka was in tier four. He's in your tier four. He's in my tier three because I only have three tiers and you have four tiers. So we're moving up to your tier three, my tier two, or we'll just say the next highest tier. And the first guy I want to talk about in this tier is Dan Quinn. Now, Dan Quinn is kind of the opposite of Mike Kafka. He's been coaching for a long time. He got his start and at the college level in 1994. I'm not going to run through his entire coaching history because it's, <laughs> like I said, it's lengthy. In 2001 is when he went from college to the NFL. He started as the defensive quality control coach in San Francisco. He was with San Fran for a while. He had a stint as the defensive line coach with the Dolphins. Same thing with the Jets. And the same thing with the Seahawks, although in 2009 with the Seahawks, he was also given the title of assistant head coach. He then went back to the college ranks for a couple years, coordinating the Florida defense before Seattle brought him back as their full-time defensive coordinator. He was there for two seasons when he got his own head coaching buzz, took over coaching as the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons in 2015. You guys may remember that was right before... Uh, Matt Ryan went and won MVP. The Falcons went to the Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator. So he's got ties to the Shanahan tree. He he, he hired Shanahan to be his offensive coordinator right before Shanahan went and took the head coaching job in San Francisco. And after six seasons as the Falcons head coach, he was fired uh, as the team sort of went downhill after the Super Bowl run. And that they lost, by the way, and blew a 28 to three lead. Let's not forget. We should point out Dan Quinn was the head coach of the 28 to three disaster in the Super Bowl. And uh, when he got after he got fired as a Falcons head coach, he was hired as the defensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys, where he's been since 2021. And anyone who watched Sunday's Cowboys Packers game is probably like, <laughs> no, 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 please. We do not want Dan Quinn. Well, there's a lot more to Dan Quinn than one horrible playoff game. And his Cowboys defenses have been amongst the best in the NFL. I think, you know, they have a lot of talent. They have a superstar talent on that defense. 
They also have been able to force a huge amount of turnovers, which feels unsustainable and fluky and was a big reason why they lost. The Green Bay game was because they were not forcing any turnovers in that game and they couldn't, you know, get a stop. But um, Dan Quinn is in my middle tier because he's a guy who has experience. He's a guy who has connections around the league. You'd, you'd assume he could build a pretty good staff based on how long he's been around and how many teams he's been with and how many staffs he's been a part of. At the same time, he's a defensive-minded head coach, which we know Titans fans are turning their noses at right now. And he's not the guy that we alluded to earlier as being the one candidate on the defensive side of the ball that would get us excited. So where do you stand on Dan Quinn? So I want to start off by rounding off some of the positives, first of all. I think he's a really good football coach. Uh, He's been one of the most popular names in recent cycles. This is not the first time. He's been extremely picky. He's been choosy because he's smart. He knows... You don't really get a third opportunity typically in this league, especially as an older defensive-minded guy. So this next opportunity to be head coach is going to be his last one. You mean in Seattle, this next opportunity? (laughs) (laughs) I do, yeah. I do think he's going to be the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. I really do. But uh, he's been choosy. He's been picky. I think the right opportunity probably just revealed itself in Seattle. I think you're right about that. But uh, some of the positives, again, his defense has been outstanding in Dallas. He's been popular for a reason. I think he's one of those candidates. I'll be honest with you. If the Titans were coming off a Nathaniel Hackett or a Brandon Staley-like disaster where they swung for the fences on a first-time guy and whiffed so badly, I think he'd be the perfect head coach, in all honesty, because you'd want you, – you, you take for granted that stabilizing figure – Everything's going to run on time, on schedule. He's going to have a good coaching staff. He's going to have good culture. I bet you, again, probably the Seattle Seahawks, whoever Dan Quinn coaches next is probably going to be very competitive throughout his entire tenor. They'll probably make a playoff appearance or two. I think things are going to go generally well, right? But I think this is also fairly similar to what Mike Vrabel brought to the Titans, right? A stabilizing, even though he wasn't experienced, he was stabilizing because he's such a good leader and he's such a good installer of culture, so to speak. Um, A a, a good culture, defensive-minded head coach. I I think the Titans are kind of, they probably want to deviate away from that type. But again, they might end up hiring someone that's worse than Dan Quinn. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if they do. I'll be totally blunt. It wouldn't surprise me if they do. I think of like the Denver Broncos, for example, getting away from a similar good coach in in Vic Fangio Hmm. and hiring a disaster in Nathaniel Hackett, right? Would have been better off if they just stuck with Vic Fangio. I think that's the type of head coach Dan Quinn's going to be. I think he's going to be a a pretty good head coach for whoever's next. I don't think the Titans are the right fit. And granted, uh, I'm not talking shit about the Titans. I don't think he's interested in the Titans, right? We're talking about him being choosy with his next opportunity. He could have had a head coaching gig last year. Probably could have had one the year before. I don't think the Titans right now are the opportunity that makes him go, this is the one. No, so I don't think either party's a good fit for one another. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's interesting to interview him, get see what he has to say. If he even you know agrees to do the interview, we'll see. They've, they've requested not. it. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. Like I said, though, he did take a team to a Super Bowl. He has he has a lot of experience, but I also don't think he's he necessarily... Coach. He's a good coach, but I don't think he necessarily aligns with Amy Adams' vision of innovative, fresh-minded approach to the position. He, he would be a third-time... No, a second. Second-time head coach. Second-time head coach. And then, what? like, he doesn't know Rand Carthon. That might matter. Are they on? We saw that, how much it Collab- matters. Collaboration they, is huge, yeah. Right. Will they be on the same page? I think there's a lot of questions there between the fit with Dan Quinn. All right, moving on to the next one in this particular tier. It is Eagles offensive coordinator Brian Johnson, who, according to somebody, Ian Rappaport, somebody reported, the Titans will be interviewing Brian Johnson after the Bucks philly or the Bucks-Eagles game on Monday night, I will also. I guess sorry, the timing uh, looks correct. I guess for the Ian Rapport, but interesting that this report. Everyone's running wild with this report. Came out like five days ago from Jordan Schultz of the Bleacher Report that the Titans had requested permission right. to interview Brian Johnson. So it's been known for a while, but here comes Ian Rapport. Uh, yeah. It looks like getting a lot of the credit for the Brian Well, Johnson. saying that it's going to be tonight after the game, that's a pretty crazy time to interview somebody right after that they... That game's going to end at like 11.30 at night. Eastern, like Eastern time. Yeah, right? right. Like 10.30 Central Nashville And time. right after they lose a playoff game, like, is that really what he wants to be talking about? Because <laughs> I'm picking the Bucks today. Uh, we'll see how that goes with an injured Baker Mayfield. But anyway, let's talk about Brian Johnson, because this is an interesting candidate. 
He was a former quarterback. He played college football at Utah, and then he played in the UFL uh, in the premier season, whatever the heck that is, for the New York Sentinels. And then he went back to Utah to get his coaching I'm a lifelong start. lifelong New York Sentinels fan. What are you talking okay, about? Okay, well, hey, that's good for you, man. Uh, <laughs> he's from Baytown, Texas. He was a, which is obviously a football state. He was um, the quarterbacks coach at Utah in 2010 and 2011. That's where he got his coaching start. He eventually made his way to the NFL in 2021. So he spent a long time at the college ranks where when he was hired as the quarterbacks coach under Nick Sirianni's Philadelphia Eagles. And then in 2023, he was promoted to offensive coordinator. So he's had one season as the offensive coordinator for a coach that calls for a head coach that calls his own plays and Nick Sirianni. He has uh, only been in the NFL for since 2021, so not a ton of NFL coaching experience. Although, like I said, he was coaching in college for you know over a decade, so definitely coaching experience, experience handling and leading young men, but not necessarily at the NFL level. And I don't think that I am going out of line by saying the Eagles' offense has taken a step back this season in 2023 with Brian Johnson as the sole offensive coordinator. So is this the guy? Is this the candidate for the Titans? I know we like offensive-minded head coaches, but I worry about his ability to build a staff, the connections that he might have in the league, and the ability to really build up an offense. I mean, the tush-push is great. I like the philosophy that we see in, in Philadelphia, but there's no like there's no hiding from the fact that the second half of this season for the Eagles has been a disaster, and you have to wonder how much Brian Johnson plays a part in that, at least a little bit. Well, I agree with a lot of what you said, so I'm going to do the same thing I did with Dan Quinn. I'm going to go to the positive side of things. Number one, I don't think there are a lot of people around the league who think this is Brian Johnson's fault right now, what's sure. happening in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, I think they have bigger issues in the offensive coordinator, locker room, toxicity. There's a lot going on there. And this isn't his only request with the Titans. He also interviewed uh, with the Carolina Panthers as well. You talk about the sort of lack of coaching experience. Well, I'll say this. He's worked under some really good coaches, right? Even going back to Utah, Kyle Whittingham is one of the best head coaches in all of football, certainly in college football. So I really like that he worked under Coach Whittingham in Utah. And then you go to some of his other stops, you know, Nick Sirianni, Shane Steichen, who you mentioned. Uh, he was with Dan Mullen at Florida. I know that that didn't go how Florida wanted, but I don't think Dan Mullen's a terrible head coach. So there have been some good things. And then certainly in his resume, um, there have been some good things, right? I mean, he was the quarterback's coach for the Eagles in 21-22. Throughout that period, certainly helped develop Jalen Hurts into like a second round, is he a good quarterback or not, into an MVP-like candidate. That's fair. Earned, helped earned him like a $255 million contract, whatever he just signed. That's so totally I think he's true. done some really good things with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I like some of the coaches he's been around. Uh, but again, the, the questions of this season are enough for me to give pause. Again, I don't think this is all on him. I think they got bigger issues on the defense defensive side of the ball in all honesty, right? There, you know, Kevin Byard, Zach Cunning, so many old guys and they removed the defensive coordinator from one of the meeting rooms. You remember there was like some weird team only meeting. I don't think they trust their staff right now. The Eagles do. There are uh, some locker room issues with AJ Brown. I think that have been going on. So I don't think Brian Johnson's fully culpable for what's happening in Philadelphia right now. And he's done a lot of good in his past. But there's enough there right now and maybe a lack of experience. First year as an offensive coordinator this year, it's gotten worse. Um, uh, there's enough there to give me pause on his candidacy right now. Yeah, so he's not in our lowest tier, but he's also not in our highest tier for sure. But I think what you said about you know doing great work with Jalen Hurts, that's the biggest feather in his cap and the biggest resume bullet point that you'd, you'd look at if you're Amy Adams Strunk and you want to get the most out of Will Levis. You can also argue, you know, he's seen what it takes to get to a Super Bowl. He went to the Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles. It wasn't his fault that they lost. You know, Jalen Hurts played a great game, and he was the quarterback's coach that year. The defense gave up too many, you know, points to Patrick Mahomes and committed a crucial late-game penalty that they were actually called for, which was sad. Um, but, yeah, I think the Titans could do better. Like, it wouldn't be the worst thing to hire Brian Johnson, but I think that there are better candidates available, and he may be a fallback plan if these other top candidates that we like turn the Titans down or go elsewhere. So let's move on with our list here. The next guy in this tier is Antonio Pierce, the current interim head coach for the Las Vegas Raiders. And Justin, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on Pierce because while nothing is official and the Raiders still have to go through their process, seems fairly likely that he would end up back there as the full-time head coach, especially with Max Crosby hinting that he would request a trade if uh, they yeah. don't hire Antonio Pierce. And he's, you know, the... The star player on their defense, so you want to keep him happy. Although I gotta say, it's pretty crazy that a player would think it's like their say whether or not you know who they who, who the team's gonna hire as head coach. Like 
know your know your role, <laughs> do your job kind of thing. I think um, this I think is Max sort Crosby of like, played for so many awful teams in Vegas and so many awful coaches. <laughs> I almost don't blame him. I would normally be on your side I don't, there. But. I don't blame him either, but it feels a little bit like LeBron James demanding for the sure. Lakers hire a specific head coach, and we've for seen sure. that not for necessarily sure. No, I agree out. with you. We don't need to spend too much time on this one, so I'm going to run through it real quick. I expect him to be the head coach in Vegas. He should be the head coach in Vegas. He did a great job restoring respect uh, to that program after the Josh McDaniels debacle. Uh, a couple things I don't love, lack of experience, right? He's a first-year interim head coach. He only coached nine games. They went five and four. Um, ability to build a staff, I think, would be a huge question here, a huge question. And then also we go back to the former player, defensive-minded, very much uh, probably hopes to be one day a Mike Vrabel CEO-type head yeah. coach, right? I mean, I don't think the Titans should be taking this risk right now. Too similar. He deserves the job in Vegas. I'm not crapping on what he did there. They should give him the job. It's the right fit for them. It's not the right fit for the Titans. I agree. So let's move on to our next tier. This is my last tier. This is my top tier that we're getting into now. This is your second highest tier. So we'll get yeah. to your top tier at the very end here. But let's start with the my top tier, your second highest tier. The next guy on the list is Brian Callahan. And uh, Brian Callahan, if you don't know, is the son of legendary offensive line coach Bill Callahan. He's been coaching in the NFL since 2010 when he was with the Broncos as a coaching assistant. Then he spent time there as an offensive quality control coach, offensive assistant from 2013 to 2015. Finally, went over to be the quarterback's coach for Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions from 2016 to 2017. He was the quarterback's coach in Oakland. In, for the Oakland Raiders, not Vegas, Oakland Raiders in 2018. And then when Zach Taylor was hired as the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals in 2019, he went over as their offensive coordinator, and he's been there ever since. We know Zach Taylor calls the plays for the Bengals, so he's the offensive coordinator. And apparently, you know, since we've started digging into this, to these candidates, we've learned that Brian Callahan is a huge part of installing the offense in the offseason, a huge part of installing the weekly game plan and communicating everything to this team and helping set the protections and helping, you know, get these weapons involved. Even though he's not actually calling the plays, he has a big hand in designing the offense. He had a big hand in the switch to Jake Browning and sort of modifying the offense that they were running to sort of suit Browning's skill set and get a lot of success out of a guy that many people thought would never have any success at the NFL level when he was coming out of Washington, right? So I think Brian Callahan has done a lot of good things. I think there are some reservations about, you know, has is he if he's going to be the head coach here as an offensive-minded guy, is he going to call the plays, which is not something that he has experience doing at the NFL level or, you know, even at the college level. Um, so can he call his own plays? I think you would feel pretty good about his ability to build a staff, given the connections to his father and the fact that he grew up around the game which is another huge plus for him. He grew up around football. He's He's been a part of organizations as a child all the way through, you know, uh, becoming, you know, into the coach that he is today. So uh, there's a lot of pros about Brian Callahan. That's why he's in my top tier. But he is my my least favorite, if you could, if I could say that. Um, of all the guys in my top tier, he's the lowest ranked for me. He's the, my fourth choice. I would be happy with him, but I wouldn't be ecstatic with him. Talk me into why, Brian, why I should be more ecstatic about Brian Callahan. Well, I think I'm a little higher on him than you are. I get what you're saying, but candidates two through four are pretty interchangeable for me. You have him at four. I might have him at two or three, in all honesty. I, I, you know, you said it about the Jake Browning thing, so I won't go too much into it, but that really helped sell me on him, right? Because before that, I was like, okay, he doesn't call plays that Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, how hard is this, right? In all mm -hmm. honesty. But um, but certainly the success they were able to sustain with Jake Browning uh, certainly improved his resume, in my opinion. And then I spent some time looking at the type of staff he might be able to build. And I'll be honest, that's where I started to get really encouraged. You mm -hmm. talked about the connections with his father. That's an obvious one, but it's not just that. It's some of the other coaches he's been around. So I'll give you an example. These are some of the coaches he's coached with. You want to talk offensive coordinator candidates, potentially. Um, Eric Studsville, who's the current Dolphins assistant head coach and running backs coach. I mean, he would be someone that's in line for a promotion because he's not the Dolphins offensive coordinator. That's a guy that's been around a long time. He's done some really good things. Uh, 
Greg Olson, the Seahawks quarterback coach, did some really good work with Geno Smith, I think, over these past two years, is expected to be available now that Pete Carroll is no longer there. Uh, he did coach with Frank Smith, by the way, who's the Dolphins offensive coordinator. You're probably not bringing him here unless you let him call plays. I know that's what you're going to say. That would be a huge W uh, there. Uh, and then you look at defensive coordinator candidates. The list is almost even better. He worked with Don Wink Martindale for a while who just got fired with the New York Giants and is looking for a new DC gig. He has been considered one of the better DCs um, in recent years. Uh, Texans defensive passing passing game coordinator Corey Udlin was on the same staff as Brian Callahan for a while. That's a really intriguing one based on how much better they've gotten under D'Amico Ryans this year. Uh, I always butcher the last name, but the 49ers uh, defensive line coach, Chris Korachek, who's very, very popular, again, knows Rand Carthon really well. He's crossed paths with Brian Callahan. And there are others. I mean, coaching under John Fox and Gary Kubiak uh, Mm -hmm. in Denver for a while is great experience. Uh, Ron Millis is one I forgot to mention, the current Colts secondary coach. I think they overachieved this year with how young they were with, you know, guys like Juju Brents on the back end. He would be a potentially defensive coordinator candidate. Jim Bob Cooter, the offensive coordinator for the Colts right now, is another one. Like I, I think Brian Callahan's ability to build a really good staff is what has me really intrigued. Uh, you're right about the calling place thing. I mean, hey, maybe he looks like Nathaniel Hackett calling place for the Broncos. <laughs> totally lost as a first-year head coach, in over his head. That's always a possibility. But the fact that he's been around the game for so long, he's been around so many amazing coaches, Lou Anarumo, uh, of course, Cincinnati. You're not bringing him over, but a, a great defensive coordinator he knows as well. Uh, so I, I think I'm pretty intrigued by Brian Callahan. Yeah, and if you think about you know some of the other pluses that he could bring, He's obviously coached T. Higgins for the last few seasons and knows him <laughs> right. very well. T. Higgins is a free agent. If the Bengals decide they can't pay him or don't want to pay him or don't want to franchise tag him and he does hit the market, if you've got his, you know, his former offensive coordinator as your head coach, I think that gives you a leg up in signing him. If he was able to bring his dad in as the offensive line coach, currently the O-line coach for the Cleveland Browns, that would be huge for the Titans offensive line, which has you know, needed a really good coach for a while now. And on top of that, he has experience coordinating an offense that doesn't have a great offensive line that struggled to protect the quarterback and still found right. a lot of success. Yeah. Um, you know, as an offense, there the whole time. he also got to watch Zach Taylor turn this Bengals team from a perennial basement dweller to a team that made the playoffs and not only made the playoffs, got to the Super Bowl. So he watched that whole transformation take place under Zach Taylor, which is obviously, you know, what the Titans are looking to do now going from a losing team to wanting to be a Super Bowl contender. So I think there's a lot of of, of pluses about Brian Callahan, too, um, which is why he's in my top tier. But he's still not my favorite candidate because there are three other guys that I like a little bit more. Let's move on to my number three ranked candidate here, st- sticking in my top tier, Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens right now, has uh, he's a young guy. He's only 36 years old. He's um, been around coaching for a long time, though. He's got his start as a high school GA in 2008. Then he was at Georgia as a graduate assistant in 2010. Obviously, a great program there. He got to the Ravens in 2014. That was when he got his NFL start as a coaching intern under John Harbaugh. And then he uh, was promoted to defensive assistant and then to defensive backs coach and then to linebackers coach. And he was the linebackers coach with the Ravens for three seasons, 2018 to 2020. He left Baltimore for one year to go be Michigan's uh, defensive coordinator under John Harbaugh's brother, Jim Harbaugh, had a phenomenal season coordinating the Michigan defense and then got the opportunity to become the Ravens defensive coordinator in 2022, where he's been for the last two seasons. And this is a guy that if you Google Mike McDonald innovative, you're going to find five articles detailing how this guy is, you know, changing defenses. He was huge in bringing simulated pressures into the NFL. I don't know if he pioneered it, but he was really big on bringing the simulated pressures, which is the idea of making the the offense think you're going to rush more than four by putting five or six or seven or eight guys on the line of scrimmage. And then you still only bring four. So it, It looks like a blitz, and then you overload one side of the line of scrimmage and bring only four guys, but you still get pressure there because you're you're out-scheming how the offense is able to block you. He's been credited with a lot of Baltimore's success on defense in terms of like getting guys like Kyle Hamilton to play at a high level, 
finding their strengths. There was a lot about how in the beginning of 2022, the Ravens defense struggled and Mike McDonald, you know, in over his head as the defensive coordinator, but he figured things out. He was adaptable. He moved players around, gave them different roles than what they had going into the season to, to best maximize their strength. And I think this is the biggest thing for me that I love about Mike McDonald is he appears to be innovative, flexible, and adaptable. He is not stuck to a game plan or a, a way of doing things. He's very open-minded to changing things that aren't working. He was a guy that, d- d- depending on the opponent that the Ravens were facing, the, they were running a completely different coverage or a completely different scheme on defense, whether it be zone-heavy, blitz-heavy, man-to-man pressure-heavy, zero, zero, you know, full-out, all-out blitz, zero cover, cover sorry, Cover zero is what I'm trying to say. Um, but anyway, mixing and matching all kinds of different fronts and coverages, not like a, not like Mike Vrabel's um, co- front multiplicity coverage consistency or whatever. It's it's multiplicity across the board for Mike McDonald. And I think there are a lot of pros there. Obviously, you have to wonder what kind of offensive staff he would be able to assemble because as a defensive-minded head coach, still offense is a priority there with Will Levis You know, be going into his second year. You want to get the most out of what you have in that rookie quarterback while he's on the rookie contract. So I think that's the biggest concern is just that he's a defensive guy, but he appears to be extremely flexible and extremely adaptable. And I think that's one of the most important traits a head coach can have is not being stuck in a certain way. And I can very confidently say Mike McDonald is not stuck in any way. No, I, I love everything you said. You took a lot of the points out of my mouth, and that's why you and I are fully uh, in lockstep on this <laughs> guy. Um, if they're going to go defensive-minded, it better be Mike McDonald and nobody else. Uh, innovative, creative. You talked about, um, I think, how some of those things align with the statement Amy Adams Strunk released and what she's right. looking for for the next head coach. He checks a lot of those boxes. You said it about the offensive staff, offensive coordinator. We know what the concerns are there. I'll go one step further. Um all, almost all of his experience essentially has been under John and Jim Harbaugh. That's right? true. So the question is when building out a staff, how many coaches does he take away from John Harbaugh in Baltimore? And number two, now that Jim Harbaugh is probably making the jump back to the NFL, um, you're probably in contention, uh, you know, contention with John. No, because they're already on his staff, but still they might want to stay on his staff, but certainly you're also probably in contention with Jim, right? And some of those people that he knows a lot of the same people, and you'd want to bring some of the same people over from Michigan, yada, yada, yada. Uh, that gives me a little concern. Um, one more positive I want to point out is don't let the Baltimore Ravens don't fall into a stereotype. This has not been before he got here, a very good Ravens defense in recent years. Just look up the numbers, 2021, 22, bleeding passing yards, right? Terrible in that department for the last couple of years. Has not been the same. Uh, So credit to him. He did a a great job taking them back to where they used to be and where they want to be, where they hang their hat on, right, as a franchise. And and, and talk about the breakout year for Justin Matabike, who I was so high on. You might remember coming out of that draft. Took a couple of years for the light bulb to come on for him. Well, what do you have, 12 or 13 sacks this year in a contract yeah. year, of course. Uh, but I think Mike McDonald deserves a lot of the credit for restoring respect to this Ravens defense. I am a big fan. I, I can't. I cannot be a bigger fan, I think, anywhere around the league of a defensive-minded candidate than I am of Mike McDonald. So certainly he ranks very highly on my list. He, he again, interchangeable I am, two through four. He could very well be number two for me. I would potentially, potentially, uh, depends what day you talk to me maybe because I'm going back and forth with these guys. I would potentially put him ahead of uh, of Brian Callahan and unpopularly probably for Titans of the next guy that we're about to talk about. Yeah, I, I'm go- I've gone back and forth with where I have Mike McDonald yeah. on my list. At one point, he was my favorite candidate, you know, a week or so ago, and I've been fluctuating between one and three for him. Another, a couple more things, just because I'm such a big fan, I'm going to keep talking about him for a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this Ravens defense led the NFL in sacks without a premier edge rusher on the team. Yeah. And I, and that does not to say they didn't have productive edge rushers, but they don't have a Miles Garrett, a TJ Watt, a Nick Bosa level guy on that defense. And they led the league in sacks largely because Mike McDonald put his players, like I said, in position to succeed. You mentioned Justin Matabuke. Imagine he, what he does. Sorry, with Harold Landry, Jeffrey Simmons. Arden Key, if Danico Autry is brought back, he'd be part of that mix too. So Justin Matabuke, as you said, 13 sacks. Jadeveon Clowney, looking like Texans era Clowney with nine and a half sacks. I'm sure everyone remembers uh, in week 18 when they were playing the Steelers on a Saturday and he gets his ninth and a half sack, which 
pushed him over nine, which got him a huge contract incentive, and he was dancing on the field. Um, Kyle Van Noy, a resurgent year with nine sacks, and then some recent draft picks like Odafe Owe with five sacks, Patrick Queen, three and a half, Brent Urban, former Titan, three sacks, Kyle Hamilton, the defensive back, three sacks, and on and on down the list. It it came from all over the defense, so many different guys getting in on the sack party there as they, again, led the league in sacks. They led the league in points allowed. This year, with the fewest points allowed, 16.3 or something, 16.5 points allowed, the fewest in the NFL. So, you know, could he be the next Brandon Staley? Absolutely. That's the fear. That's the big worry here. But he could also go on and be one of the next great head coaches in this league. So that's the dice you roll when you fire your head coach is that, you know, you never know what the next, what door number two is going to hold. But I am very, very high on Mike McDonald. Anything else on McDonald before we move on to the next, the last two guys? No, let's move on to the next guy that I might have Mike McDonald ahead of uh, that no one in Tennessee would agree with. It's close for me. I'm not saying (laughs) I do, but it's closer for me than it is for most. Go ahead. So this is the last guy in your tier two. This is the second to last guy in my top tier. It's Texans offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick, who everyone is super high on Bobby Slowick. The connections to San Francisco and Rand Carthon are, you know, they speak for themselves being on the same 49er staff. He's one of the guys that was a Washington Redskins, excuse me, but they were the Redskins back then, assistant um, along with the the super team group of coaches in Coach. the NFL right now. <laughs> Kyle Shanahan, Matt, Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay, and Mike McDaniel. Right. The four offensive gurus of the NFL right now who all sort of come from the Shanahanian system and dating back to Mike all Shanahan. Yeah, and all and the four that are head coaches now are all having great success. I mean, the Dolphins may, maybe could be arguing. And not we will, let's great be honest, success, we but. would have said back then, right? What are the chances they go four for four? There's no chance one of these guys is going to suck. One's going to be a dud. They're batting 100% so far. Four for four, no right. doubt about it. So again, what are the chances that all five guys are great head coaches? <laughs> maybe not high, but maybe the fact that they learned from Mike Shanahan in Washington and then, you know, went on to learn from Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, like maybe that means something here. So yes, he was with Washington from 2011 to 2013. Uh, San Francisco next. Offensive assistant, offensive pass game specialist, offensive passing game coordinator in 2022. And then finally, he got a chance to design his own offense and call his own plays with the Texans under D'Amico Ryans as their offensive coordinator this year. And uh, had a great, fantastic, I would say, explosively unbelievable uh, playoff debut with with C.J. Stroud and the Texans dominating the number one defense. Now, we just talked about the Ravens being number one in points allowed. Browns were the number one defense in yards allowed a team that the Titans had their lowest yardage output in the Tennessee Titans era against in earlier in week three earlier this season. Um, so they, and they absolutely put on a masterclass against this Browns defense. They scored 31 offensive points. They scored 45 points because they had two pick sixes in the game, but still 31 points against the best defense in the NFL. What many people would have said was the best defense in the NFL. Titans haven't scored 30 points in a game in over two years. So Bobby Slowick, obvious connections to Rand Carthon, runs a similar system that uh, Liam Cohen ran with Will Levis his last year at Kentucky, or his second to last, when Liam Cohen was offense coordinator at Kentucky, because Cohen comes from the McVay tree, which comes from the Shanahan tree, it's all connected. So there's a lot, a lot to like about Bobby Slowick. The concerns are his experience, you know, he hasn't been coaching for that long, I mean, as an actual like high level coach, he was a quality control coach until 2018 and an offensive assistant until 2020, offensive pass game specialist in 2021, and then finally offensive passing game coordinator 2022, offensive coordinator 2023. He's also only 36 years old. Where are you at on Bobby Slowick? Well, you said a lot of the positives, right? I like I like the offense that he runs. I like that it, you know, first of all, it's had a lot of success under Shanahan. Titans had some success running that a similar staple of that offense under Art Smith and Matt LaFleur, obviously, similar trees, so to speak. I like that he knows Rand Carthon so well, probably checks Amy Adams Trunk's box for collaborative and all those things, right? Like that those things, that there's some really good stuff there with the relationship with Rand, the offense again. So a lot of good things there, certainly. Um, I, I worry about the two years of high level experience and one of them being what was 2022 offensive passing game coordinator was yeah. it yeah under Kyle Shan I mean look this year no doubt about it I thought he called a great game no doubt uh, certainly uh, you know had receivers running open schemed up some things beautifully we saw that throwback touchdown pass Titans ran something similar with Levis against the Falcons so a lot to like about him uh 
I, you know, we've heard some reports out of Houston that he's not ready or that he feels he's not ready. That would give me pause. Uh, how much of this is CJ Stroud and the Texans offensive line, you know, Laramie Tunsil, Shaq Mason, so many good players up front. Nico Collins, although I will say Nico Collins did not look like this in previous years, right? right. He was kind of like an, an okay number two. Is he going to reach that level? Now he's reached it under Ryan Slowick and CJ Stroud, but the pieces in place, uh, you know, I, I'm having a hard time deciding how much credit goes to him, how much credit goes to the head coach and how much credit goes to the historically great rookie quarterback, right. right. And, and the weapons that are there. And, uh, you know, he, he goes run, run pass as often as any coordinator in the league, which I find hilarious because all the Titans fans with Mike Vrabel and Tim Kelly run, run pass. They had Derrick Henry. This team has Devin Singletary. Yes. It's worked for them this year. Uh, I think to a degree, you know, certainly, uh, but I, I think he buys into that mantra of what Kyle Shanahan once said, you and I talked about recently, sometimes we'll run the ball knowing it might not work. We're trying to set something up. I think he's a big believer in that. He comes from the same coach who believes in that. And he's showing some of the same tendencies in Houston right now. So um, I like Bobby Slowick. Don't get me wrong. I do. I think I've got a bit more pause than most Titans fans do based on some of the same concerns that you share. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, Bobby Slowick may be the bigger, the biggest gamble in this class because you're almost betting on, like, the history of the Shanahan tree more than you're betting on him as a coach, as a person. But if you listen and to him talk... Experience. Right. If you listen to him talk, though, at press conferences, talking about, like, offensive philosophy, quarterback's footwork, things like that, he sounds so incredibly smart. And, yeah, C.J. Stroud may be one of the greatest rookie quarterbacks we've ever seen, having one of the, you know, had one of the best rookie quarterback seasons we've ever seen. How much of that is just him being a really talented player? It's hard to separate that from Slowick, but maybe it is. Maybe Slowick has had a huge hand in that. We don't know. Um, but hearing him talk about developing footwork and and getting a quarterback mentally ready to play and ready to to react to anything that happens in front of him, I do get excited listening to him speak. So I'd encourage, if you're a big Bobby Slowick fan already, go listen to him do a, a, a few press conferences and you'll become an even bigger fan. Anything else you want to say on Slowick before we move on to our final guy who I think is pretty obvious now who it's going to be based on, you know, <laughs> who we've talked Process about. Process of elimination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, the final guy is my number one coach, and you've got him in the same tier. I've got him in a tier by himself. For me, it is uh, Ben Johnson of the Detroit Lions offensive coordinator. Again, you probably figured that out. There are a couple of things here that just make me more comfortable with Ben Johnson than it does Brian Callahan or Bobby Slowick or Mike McDonald. Uh, first of all, let's talk about what he did on Sunday. They scored 24 points uh, in a win against the Los Angeles Rams. Yes, they went a little conservative in the second half, no doubt about it. But let's look at some of the other numbers, right? 6.1 yards of offense, the Lions averaged, by the way, on Sunday. Three red zone trips. They scored touchdowns on all three plays. Oh, sorry, all three drives. Uh, another thing that I really like, the opening script, the first drive. We all know that's the opening script, right? You prepare it uh, in advance. 10-play scoring drive, five pass plays, five run plays, very well-balanced approach. I look at some of his offensive philosophies that I'm a big fan of. He's big on pre-snap motion. Yeah. Which Titans were not big enough on this past year, and they had success when they did it. Remember Mike Vrabel gave that sort of disappointing, confusing answer when pressed on why they didn't use more pre-snap motion. I look at how, that, how he's used pre-snap motion to create isolation and confusion across the line of scrimmage. Pre-snap leads to post-snap success. Um, and then I'm a bit more comfortable with his experience. He had a top five offense last year in Detroit, had a lot of head coaching interest. What did he do? He said, no, I want to finish when I started. I thought there was a lot of honor in his decision. Went back to Detroit, doubled down. Another top five offense this year removes the one-year success question mark that we're asking about maybe Bobby Slowick and some of the other candidates that we're talking about. So I like all of that. Um, and then, yes, look, let's uh, let's address the elephant in the room. Outstanding offensive line, yep. legitimate number one receiver, and elite tight end. Two fantastic running backs. The Detroit roster is much better than the Titans roster. And look, Ben Johnson could fail if they don't get those things right. Every head coach will fail if they don't get that <laughs> O-line right yep. and some of those other things, right? I think that's very obvious. But he's innovative. He's creative. He fits some of the things you talked about. And one thing that helps me with the personnel, by the way, is that Jared Goff is his quarterback. No disrespect. This is not an elite quarterback, okay? And a lot of the things that Jared Goff has in Detroit, the O-line, all that, he had a lot of that stuff in L.A. with Sean McVay, 
in all honesty. He did. They had a good O-line. They had a good running game. They had good receivers, right? But it's looked better for Jared Goff in Detroit than it did in L.A. Now, that doesn't mean I think Ben Johnson's a better coach than Sean McVay. Maybe the moment just wasn't right for Jared Goff. Maybe he wasn't old enough, mature enough, experienced enough, whatever. But some of those concerns go away for Ben Johnson for me because he's doing it with a very average quarterback, in all honesty. So I'm a big fan of Ben Johnson. He's my number one. It's unfortunate they probably won't get him (laughs) <laughs> in all honesty, I'm ranking him number one because I think the Washington Commanders are far and away the favorite to get him. I think the Chargers probably get Harbaugh, but if they don't, they'd probably be number two. I hope Amy Adams Drunk opens the checkbook here. I hope she goes really aggressive to get him, in all honesty. I, I imagine, again, they're not going to get him. I hate ranking someone number one that they're probably not going to hire, uh, but he's far and away my number one. That's why I've got him in a tier. And I think I explained why I got him in a tier by himself. He's creative. He's innovative. The stuff that he's done on offense, multi-year experience now with the OC there. I really like Ben Johnson. Yeah, I mean, he's been coaching at the college level since 2009 and got it, got to the NFL with the Miami Dolphins in 2012 as an offensive assistant, was with the Dolphins for a while, and then actually got to the Detroit Lions in 2019 before Dan Campbell got there. Dan Campbell became the head coach and interviewed him to keep him on the staff, sort of an Art Smith sticking around in Tennessee type of situation there which is just, you know, that stands out, you know, the fact that you're able to convince a head coach who he, you weren't his guy to make you his guy. He was the passing game coordinator in 2021 under Dan Campbell, became the full-time offensive coordinator in 2022, and that's when the Detroit offense really exploded. They were okay in 2021, but one, when Ben Johnson took over, they went from good to great, if you uh, don't mind me saying that again. Um, and so that that is a huge feather in his cap, and, and also... You look, you talk about having a great offensive line, a great wide receiver, getting the most out of Jared Goff. Like he was part of building that offensive line, part of, you know, as the offensive coordinator, he's part of bringing in the players that they brought in, whether it be the draft, free agency, whatever. And he's part of coaching them up and making them perform up to their talent level, as opposed to just, you know, guys that that don't necessarily that look better than they really end up playing or when the sum of the offensive line parts, like an offensive line is a group that has to play together and gel well, even if you have one or two talented guys or, or five talented guys, they all have to be playing together. So that's another thing that he's been able to do well there. And you mentioned the Jared Goff stuff. I think that's huge. You know, Jared Goff didn't play this well under Sean McVay. I mean, maybe he had one great season like this under Sean McVay. The final stat I want to give on Ben Johnson, and this one is mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing if you're a Titans fan who's been watching the Titans for the last two seasons score 30 points zero times. Um, Credit to at AllTitans22 on Twitter for pointing this out. I'm going to read his tweet. Under Ben Johnson as OC, the Lions have scored 30-plus points 16 times. And in in six of those times, they scored 40-plus points. In that same time frame, the Titans have scored 30-plus points zero times so if you're looking for a change if you're looking for innovative young he's only 37 years old fresh-minded approach a guy who you expect would be a big collaborator this is like you said the top candidate i think for the titans they got to open the checkbook like you said because he's going to have offers from basically every vacancy everyone's going to want ben johnson there is a chance that ben johnson turns out to be Adam Gase level bad, you know, because uh, it happens to people. But I think I would with all of them. Yeah, exactly. I would put my money, though, on Ben Johnson being a very successful head coach. If you listen to him speak in press conferences, he's a very smart guy. You can tell from the way he talks again, just like with Bobby Slowick. The big concern, I guess, would be building a defensive staff. You would maybe this goes for him and Slowick and Mike McDonald on the offensive side of the ball. You'd hope that they kind of do what Sean McVay did in his first season with the Rams, where he went and got a very yes. veteran defensive coordinator in Wade Phillips to be his guy. You have to wonder, you know, who is Ben Johnson going to turn to to be his defensive coordinator? Are there people from the Lions staff that went off to other places that he would bring with him to his staff? This if he, you know, wherever he ends up being. So that's probably the only concern. But I think, you know, the Lions have been winning games having a mediocre defense the last few seasons because they just score so many damn points on offense. I would I would. Love to put the franchise in Ben Johnson's hands. You know, he's probably going to prioritize offensive line because he's seen how, you know, that can drive success up there with the, with the Lions and then let him take the reins because I feel confident that he would be able to build an offensive juggernaut. I'm with you. I think I've convinced you to put him in a tier of his own. It sounds <laughs> like for me, he's my top ranking coach. Everything you just said is true. And uh, I'm just so much more comfortable with what he's done than some of the other guys. The other ones, again, I like 
the candidates that I have a tier below them, Mike McDonald, Bobby Sloak, Brian Callahan, but I've got more questions about them than I do of Ben Johnson. And that for me is what sets him aside. Hey, look, when the Titans hired Ken Wisenhunt, by the way, this is a bad, this is bad, but everyone said this is a cheap franchise. He was going to the Detroit Lions. Okay. Hmm. Ken Wisenhunt was. Mm -hmm. Titans offered him $1 million more in annual salary. So this is not a franchise that's too cheap to go get their guy when they want him. Don't 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 be confused by that. And that was before Amy Adams Trunk got there. That was under Tommy Smith. Yeah. And Miss Amy Adams Trunk is a much better leader than Tommy Smith was. Right. So if Amy Adams Trunk falls in love with Ben Johnson as a candidate, I don't it's not it's not with, with you know outside the realm of possibility that she does something to get him on board. And let's you know, money talks, we all know it does. So um We'll see what happens, but the Titans are not a cheap franchise. They're not going to miss out on Ben Johnson because they're cheap, in my opinion. So I think Ben Johnson probably likes what's going on in Washington. He gets to handpick his own quarterback, number two. No, I mean, handpick, number two overall. You're getting one of Caleb Williams or Drake May. Really good GM in Adam Peters from San Francisco. Uh, ownership with deep pockets. Money's not going to be a problem in Washington, so... They're ultimately still the favorites, in my opinion. But Titans fall in love with them. It's not within, without uh, outside the realm of possibility. Yep. And as we sit here recording right now, the, the favorite to be the next Titans head coach is actually Bobby Slowick. The last I saw, the odds were plus 100, which is like one to one, which is like not even odds. Like that's that's a pretty heavy favorite for a guy to be the next head coaching candidate. I think a lot of that is the ties to Rand Carthon in San Francisco. But yeah, so I would like everyone watching this on YouTube right now, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Let us know in the comments, who's your favorite candidate that the Titans have set out to interview? There's also guys out there that could become available that or or would be available that the Titans haven't necessarily requested. We haven't heard that they requested to interview. Dolphins office coordinator Frank Smith. There's a chance the Cowboys part ways with Mike McCarthy. There's a chance the Eagles part ways with Nick Sirianni. We'll see how all that shakes out. So there could be even more candidates emerging. The timeline here is... All the guys that weren't coaching for playoff teams were able to do virtual interviews with the Titans. So the Titans have already interviewed, I think, three or maybe four of these candidates. Um, Mike McDonald was one of them, even though he's in the playoffs because he had a bye. He was able to do an interview. The guys that were coaching in the uh, wildcard round, they can't start interviewing until Tuesday of this week. So that we should start hearing about those interviews coming down. They're all going to be virtual for this for now. And then maybe next week we might start getting, you know, the second round, the in-person interview for the guys that had advanced throughout this process. So anyway, we'll keep you all updated here as the as the coaching search unfolds. We're putting a little pause on our like free agency preview and Titans pending free agents and all the stuff we were planning to talk about when we thought Mike Vrabel would still be the head coach on January 15th. But anyway, we'll get back to all that once the Titans have a head coach. So thanks for tuning in. We'll be back soon to, to keep you updated on this search. Until then, y'all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.